This is the Lindell Report, bringing you news combined with hope by offering practical and achievable action points to assist you in defending and preserving faith and freedoms. And now, here is your host, Mike Lindell. Good evening. Welcome to the broadcast. Brandon House in for Mike Lindell, who is traveling tonight and on business and speaking, trying to fix 2020 and save America. Joining me tonight will be a gentleman running for governor of Pennsylvania. He's running for governor of Pennsylvania. Uh, next week, we endeavor to have on the candidate that is running against Dr. Oz. Um, in Pennsylvania, and we'll look forward to that next week. Tonight, though, we'll be joined by the gentleman that's running for governor of Pennsylvania, and then we'll be joined by a gentleman that is, well, working hard to try to uh, keep us free when it comes to the issue of social media. Jason Jason Fike, F-Y-K, is how you spell his name. He's the founder and director of an organization known as Social Media Freedom Foundation. They're working on a case that uh, apparently, Justice Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas declared uh, that they needed something that Clarence Thomas apparently kind of gave a roadmap, gave a roadmap to conservatives and said, hey, this is uh, kind of where you need to go if you guys want us to rule on something up here favorably. And so we'll see what kind of roadmap Justice Clarence Thomas gave America and how this foundation is uh, organizing to uh, offer up legislation for that. Now, tonight, as we'll be joined by uh, Senator Doug Mastriano, he's again running for governor of Pennsylvania. We'll also report to you tonight about a few other things breaking. I got some startling video clips to bring you. You guys are probably hearing the story tonight uh, as we've come on the air that the Department of Homeland Security wants to create a uh, board. Uh, the, the Biden regime announces creation of disinformation governance board. Wait a minute. The Biden re is jo isn't Joe Biden known for being one of the biggest liars in political history? I'm not making a statement. I'm asking a question. Isn't Joe Biden? Isn't he the guy that plagiarized multiple times? Isn't he known Joe Biden is one of the biggest liars in American political history? So Joe Biden's regime wants to create a governing board, disinformation governance board. Isn't that kind of the equivalent of Bill Clinton starting an abstinence organization? Well, apparently this is where we're going. Joe Biden is starting a disinformation governance board. We'll get into that with some clips tonight. We also have a major crisis on the border a major crisis on the border with, uh, well, what we said was going to happen. People lining up to get ready to come flooding over our borders, and it's already started with effectively Title 42 already being lifted. It hasn't officially been lifted, but in practice, it appears as that's exactly what's happening, as we were warned about weeks ago by Todd Binsman, a regular guest on my show at Brandon House Live. And sadly, people are dying. They even have a stationary morgue that's already been placed on the border. And sadly, it's being used. I'll endeavor to show you the video clip today as one congressman pointed this out in a hearing. Uh, well, we actually had Jim Jordan, and then I think his name is uh, Chip from Texas, two congressmen today 
really making news with some gutsy sound bites. So we want to bring those to you. But first, we're honored to be joined by Senator Doug Mastriano. He is running for governor of Pennsylvania. Senator, welcome to Mike Lindell's broadcast, The Lindell Report. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me on. I'm honored to be here. Well, Mike uh, texted me your number today and said, hey, get my friend Doug on. Uh, you are someone he has endorsed, correct? Yes, I was honored to have his endorsement last month. Excellent, excellent. Well, I also have a graphic in there, Logan, if you want to bring up a graphic, because you guys had a, a debate last night, did you not? Tell us about that debate, yeah. and there's a poll that's coming out of, the out of that debate, right? Yes, yeah, so last night it was a broadcast across the entire state, all 67 counties, and, and across the border in New York, Jersey, and Ohio as well. And uh, it was uh, the top four contenders. Now, top four in this was people who at least acquired 5% of the vote. So that included some people who really don't have a shot. But still, uh, the, the poll came out and it has uh, this morning had me 70% uh, favorable as far as winning the debate, uh, hands down. Well, congratulations. Thank you. What is your website? Logan, we'll put that up on the, uh, onto your name. What's your website, sir? Uh, the website is uh, DougForGov.com. Doug, D-O-U-G, number four, G-O-V.com. All right. Glad. Doug, there's the poll right there. DougForGov.com. Yes. All right. There's the poll right there. Let's put them back up there, Logan. There we go. So uh, <laughs> the, the uh, folks think you won the debate last night handily. So tell me uh, about who now you're are you in the primary right now is what I, 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 I've got to believe you're you're still running in the primary, correct? Yes. And the, the vote is three weeks from now, uh, May 17th. OK, three weeks from now. OK. Uh, and then who do you think you'll be facing in the and you may already know I don't I'm not following your race that closely. I apologize. Who do you think you'll be facing in the general? Do you know yet? Yeah, the Democrats have bequeathed this upon Josh Shapiro, our attorney general. OK. All right. So let's go to your website. We can show your website, Doug, and then the number four, gov.com. There we go. Proud husband and father. I'm retired Army colonel with 30 years of service. All right, so you retired a full colonel. Is that correct? Yes, back in 27, uh, end of 2017. Okay. And my odyssey of getting involved in politics, i got to be honest with you, never uh, thought about running for office, just wanted to be a soldier. Did that you know, for most of my adult life, most of my 20s, all of my 30s, all of my 40s, and part of my 50s. And it was uh, time to uh, retire, uh, sadly. And uh, as I was leaving, I took stock of my 30 years of service, spanning from the Cold War to Afghanistan. And I was really heartbroken with the reality that I was handing over the country less secure, less good, less prosperous than I, how I got it from my dad's generation. That's all fact. And I was really struggling with that. And, you know, so much sacrifice, four years away from home, leaving my family behind so much, and 12 years out of the country, 12 moves. And um, as I was, uh, I, I used to be on quite a bit on radio and TV talking about Russia and security in the Baltic region and Eastern Europe. Uh, interesting how things are going down. Um, but as I was doing one of my last radio interviews locally, I was kind of complaining off air to this young man of everything I just said to you. And he looked over at me and said, well, Colonel, do something about it. And that really hit me hard because it's so easy to complain and whine and point fingers. And those people in D.C. and Harrisburg, they're ruining our. And so um, one thing led to another. And uh, we felt led by God to run and uh, ended up as a senator just before the COVID shutdown. And then obviously was a champion of reopening the state and, and taking the shots by the Democrats and, and and trying to protect our elderly, which uh, the Wolf administration thought it was a good idea. Dr. Levine, you know, follow the science, Levine, please, after you, Levine. I thought it was a good idea to send uh, the sick back into homes, killing 16,000, and standing and fighting all these ridiculous policies. And then finding myself on the forefront of voting, uh, voting, uh, fighting for voting integrity after the 2020 election, 
And that's how Mike's paths and mine crossed. Okay, so when you say that your paths crossed, were you at Mike's Cyber Symposium in August or just you saw his work? Yeah, saw his work, didn't make it to the symposium, but, but met him at, at some rallies. He actually came to Harrisburg uh, with one of the bus tours, and uh, we met him first there, my wife and I, and uh, obviously hit it off since we're you know fighting for the same thing, voting integrity. So, you know, Mike likes to quote your state a lot because your state has this funny law, as he sarcastically says, that you're not supposed to be able to certify the vote if you have more votes than voters, but yet they certified the vote anyway. Yeah, so Pennsylvania has a lot of issues. You know, when you look at other states, there's a lot of Byzantine rules and policies. And in 1938, the uh, General Assembly, the House of Senate, thought it'd be a good idea to hand the certification powers over to the state's secretary. And the state secretary is not elected, appointed by the governor. And so because of that, our Democrat governor and his very radical Secretary of State Kathleen Bookbar, who's since resigned in shame, by the way, um, they certified it despite Pennsylvania law. And it's very few of us actually stood up with, you know, in outrage that you can't do that. But there wasn't enough of us and none in leadership stood up with us. And uh, another weird thing was on 30 November of 2020, we were out of session for an entire month. And so I, I was pushing real hard to get an emergency session. And uh, we just it, nothing happened with it. It just kind of faded away. And it's just it's really heartbreaking. I, General assemblies, you know, houses and senates or delegates or whatever you call them, very safe. You should never relinquish your powers to a bureaucrat, especially an appointed one. And so we have to I actually have legislation to amend the law to, to get the power back to the House and Senate. So that ridiculous thing never happens again. Did, did, did your bill pass? Uh, it's still sitting in committee. Um, it, it's actually a constitutional amendment. It has to move this year or next year to, for it to go before the people for a referendum. I also have legislation, of course, to uh, end this month long. Every two years, we're at a session. And this happens you know, during presidential election years. And I, I have a legislation to change the Constitution where we're never at a session like that again. So tell me, who controls the House and who controls the Senate, Republicans or Democrats? We have a solid Republican majority in, in both uh, chambers right now, yeah. and uh, you you wouldn't know it by the lack of action. So. so so why do you think that is? We see that consistently, uh, Doug, whether we're talking uh, Georgia and Arizona and a lot of these states. Why do you why do you suppose the Republicans want to, I don't know, be cowards? I mean, what other word can I give it? Yeah, you know, my observation, I've only been doing this for three years. Um, my observation is the, the most important thing for many. Now, there's some, there's some fantastic people in the House and Senate here, apps, and so we can't condemn them all. I'm, I'm part of that the group. Um, but, uh, you know, for a good group of them, it's the most important thing is re-election and uh, raising money for that re-election. And the status quo, don't rock the boat, you know, just kind of get along and, and go along kind of thing. And that's why Pennsylvania and the United States of America generally is in such bad shape, because people entrust us with with protecting their constitutional freedoms and, you know, making sure that we guard those freedoms jealously. And, you know, so few did anything during the shutdown and so few did anything during the voting integrity fight, of course, in 2020. And so it, it takes bold leadership and uh you know, I, I had no, no sites of running for any position, and here I am as a state senator now running for governor. And, you know, we were propelled to do this because, you know, thousands of people across the state literally pleaded with my wife and I to, to run. They, they didn't like the options. They, they saw no one that's going to really stand up for us because it's going to be more status quo. And if we settle for another mediocre Republican, Josh Shapiro uh, will win. He's more radical than our, our current governor, Governor Tom Wolf, very appropriately named governor, by the way. And so... The the, uh, the left, the Democrat National Committee, Democrat Legislative Campaign Committee, 
Uh, they saw me as a threat to their power base in Pennsylvania. They blacklisted uh, 21 Republicans from various states across the nation. I was number one on their list. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt said you could you know, judge a man's character by who his enemies are. So thank you, DNC, for that. They spent, I think, six, six figures to defame me. They, they issued uh, attack talking points to uh, the various media outlets, both print and, and you know, CNN and others, and uh, hit me with their best shot. And they were shocked when they, after about nine months of attacking me, and I thought it was bizarre that I was even being attacked by Los Angeles Times, New York Times, Washington Post, state senator, seriously, that they, they did a poll and they found out that they, they, their attacks were turned on them, like with Heyman in the, in the Book of Esther. They made me more popular. My negatives are single digit and it had me in the lead for the governor race, which I wasn't even in yet. And so they were appalled by this. But the people, are, they saw what they did to Donald Trump and, and, and with Mike Lindell and the people aren't stupid. Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, we'll, we'll deal with it when Mike gets back. But speaking of people making fun of you, um, Mike called last night and he, and he said, hey, uh, have you seen it? Uh, Jimmy Kimmel responded to our offer to him this week. And uh, so I hadn't. So he texted over to me. And sure enough, uh, Jimmy Kimmel's making fun of us and mocking us uh, last night. Um, you know, and we all laugh. We all laugh in uh, in, in uh, I laugh. Mike laughs in good humor. You know, it's getting the message out there, getting the word out there. Uh, I texted to a few friends, and they're, they're, they didn't respond positively. They, that makes them angry. It makes them angry when they see Mike and I getting attacked. Mike and I laugh about it. I think it bothers our friends more than it bothers us because we're thinking, hey, the word's getting out. But the point, is, <laughs> the point is exactly that. The more these guys attack us, make fun of us, take our clips and chop them up like they do, the more it gets the base kind of realizing, hey, these people are standing in the gap for us. We got to come and uh, get, get involved in this, right? Exactly. So uh, the Pennsylvania Democrat Party, of course, you know, they took clips of, of the debate last night. You know, look, look at Master Yad and all that. I have twice the amount of followers on my campaign page than they do, four times the amount of what they have on my Senate page. I mean, it's almost a joke. And I, I look, you know, it was released an hour and like four people had liked it or retweeted it. I mean, so. The beautiful thing is, you know, Elon Musk, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for him. He's going to restore some of the freedom of speech here. But this is this is a fight in every area because so, you know, Mike, Mike took it on the chin. He he risked everything for what he did here. I really do admire his patriotism. He's a real patriot. And uh, it was risky to step out because so few did. And uh, I love how Mike's music because No, our, exactly. As you said it's like, actually, now you're, you're perpetuating our message now and you're making more people aware of our concerns. And, and I, I love that approach. Well, I don't know if you saw Mike. Mike said he's turning a new leaf this week. He said that he is uh, now he is going to treat the liberal media a lot different. I don't know if you saw that this week. He, he praised one of the writers, I think her name is Cheryl, over at Newsweek. He praised Business Insider. And he said, you know what, I'm turning a new leaf because uh, I'm going to start treating the liberal media a lot differently because, frankly, they're, they're at least writing about me, whereas I get completely ignored by Fox and many of the outlets. You know, they don't write about what I'm doing. They don't write about my, my injunction. You know, he has uh, introduced this week, Senator, an injunction. It's a complaint for injunctive relief banning the use of in, insecure electronic voting machines in Arizona. And uh, on that, of course, uh, the plaintiffs on there are um, uh, Carrie Lake, who's running for governor of Arizona. And, of course, on there also is Mark Fincham, Representative Mark Fincham, who's running for secretary of state. And, you know, who's reporting this? The liberal media, the liberal media, the liberal media. And Mike's like... Well, at least they're reporting on it. Our side's sitting over here not reporting on it. So this week, Mike came out and said, I'm going to go forward. I'm going to treat the liberal media a lot different going forward because they're really helping us, you know. So uh, it, he does. He takes lemons and makes it into lemonade. I'll tell you that right now. 
Let me ask you about your candidate before we get into what you're running for and about. Tell me about your candidate. You said he's going to be even more liberal than your current governor. Yeah, he's our attorney general. Uh, he's he uh, won re-election, so this is uh, going on his sixth year as attorney general. Uh, so why do I say that? Let me back it up with with facts. Uh, during the shutdown, when Dr. Levine, you know, who's now Woman of the Year and uh, <laughs> all this ridiculous stuff, follow the science, Doug. I'm always like, please, after you, what what have, what, have an X Y or XX anyway. <laughs> It's bizarre. It, he promoted to admiral, second most powerful health official in the nation, and failed policies. During the shutdown, Levine, before New York, before California and Jersey and Michigan, Levine led the way by sending the sick out of the hospitals into the homes on 19 March, and it unleashed the plague, killing at least 16,000 of our elderly, and so many parents were left to die alone in, in these long-term health care facilities. Um, it was outrageous. Josh Shapiro had to do something. He did nothing for a long time. And then finally he decided he was going to you know, investigate the homes, the very homes that were compelled and forced in order to take the sick back. And uh, this is uncomfortable. He, he's more worried about suing uh, the, the, the poor sisters, the, the, you know, the nuns, the sisters of the poor in Philadelphia, because he doesn't like their contraception policy and took them to the Supreme Court over that issue. This guy is a radical leftist. It's funny, though, uh, the, one of the big local, uh, extremely liberal papers in Philadelphia, um, they, it looks like uh, I'm going to win the primary on May 17th. And they're terrified of the fact that, that Josh Shapiro is going to face me. And now they're saying, uh, we're, we're concerned that Josh Shapiro isn't a tested candidate. Yeah, well, no kidding, because you gave him a, you know, a free ticket, the Willy Wonka golden ticket. So... <laughs> <laughs> Willie Wonka golden ticket. So let's talk. That's that's good. Let's talk about you and what you're doing. Your your website here. Okay, so I'm really impressed. The fact that you're a retired Army Colonel, you made full Colonel. That's congratulations and thank you for thank serving you. our country. I'm an advocate for business. When you sh when when you were shut down, I stood at the Capitol and demanded change. I won't stop fighting for your rights to do business without burden. Boy, I'll tell you what. Uh, Senator, the uh, businesses, what they have had put on them the last two years, and then you add in the punitive taxes and whatnot, it's tough to be an entrepreneur. This week I was reading uh, Klaus Schwab's next book. You know, he came out with The Great Reset. Then his next book that was finished up the end of 2021 and came out here in 2022 is called The Great Narrative. It should be called his first book, The Great Collapse, not The Great Reset, because that's what it's all about, collapsing. Yep. That's why they call it Build Back Better. you got to tear it down before you build it back. And then his new book, The Great Narrative, should be called The Great Lie. But in there, they lay out m much of their plans, which includes carbon tax, carbon tax. And they call it a global tax, and it's going to, of course, be put onto businesses. And the businesses that don't comply, they openly say, if you're not going to comply under the peer pressure of society then we're going to come after you. So you better start complying willingly because we're going to use the power of the law. We're going to shame you, and then we're going to use the power of the law to make you comply to ESG standards, environmental, social, governance, the you know Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, sustainable development. So businesses, again, how are you as governor, you're going to address this. I'm, I'm hoping your state will address this head on and not let the bureaucrats you know, push this radical environmentalism, which is really Marxism, posing as environmentalism, while we yep. let you know the Cato Protocol not apply to China, not apply to India, some of the biggest polluters. Can you speak to us on this topic? I can, and Tom Wolf thought it was a good idea to enter us into a, a Paris Climate Accord compact called the Re Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. 
And uh, he, he got us into this compact with uh, 11 other states without a vote from the General Assembly. And what this does is we have to pay CO2 emissions, to we, so we have to buy credits, just like you mentioned, at the state level. This is going to drive – now, Pennsylvania is the uh, third greatest uh, energy, energy producer in the nation. We, we, we are sitting on a gold mine of natural gas, of coal, and even some oil. And uh, we're the only energy-producing state in this compact here. It's going to drive up uh, energy costs for each person, each average person and business owner, uh, around uh, – Let's see, thirty percent increase, and it's already through the roof thanks to you know Joe Biden's inflation and his and his failed policies. It's going to cost us in the first year four hundred and sixty-one million dollars of, of new taxes. Uh, two years is estimated two billion dollars. It's going to shut down many of our plants in the state. One one big plant in our southwest of the state is going to shut down this year. Another one next year. It's going to be crippling in a time when we need to be energy independent. Uh, Tom Wolf thought it'd be a good idea to go into Reggie. Uh, since he's doing it by fiat on day one, I'm going to sign an executive order getting us out of Reggie, and I'll be rescinding uh, all these various regulations he put in place over the past eight years that, that has driven up energy costs astronomically in Pennsylvania. You know, we get no benefit from being an energy producer. You would not even know we're an energy producer in Pennsylvania with all the, the fees and, and extraction taxes that Tom Wolf has put on it. So number one is making Pennsylvania, uh, my goal is number one in energy. I want to be a, a net exporter. I want to build a... Uh, liquefied natural gas terminals at Lake Erie so we can get it to New England, uh, also uh, off of Philly so we can ship it to our allies. I spent a lot of time uh, in northern Europe uh, with our Baltic allies. I, I met uh, with the former minister of defense when I was a colonel in the army back in 2016, uh, Raza I, I know I say her name. Lithuanian names are tough. Uh, they're actually a partner state with uh, Pennsylvania. We send our soldiers over there and theirs come here as well for training. Uh, she said, Doug, you know, uh, we need to get off of Russian oil and gas like everyone else in Europe should be. We want to buy it off of Pennsylvania. Uh, we, we have we have an LNG terminal, liquid natural gas terminal off of Klapita, and uh, we named it the Independence. Wow. We want to get it off of Pennsylvania. And so we, we, we can't get enough over to them yet, thanks to these failed Democrat policies. So that's number one with the business plan. Uh, number two, uh, Pennsylvania has some of the most Byzantine tax codes. It'd take you 18 weeks to read the, the 153,000 regulation tax codes we have. And so uh, within the first 100 days, my goal is to uh, strip Pennsylvania down to just under 100,000 regulations. And then I'll have the Trump policy where every new regulation to have to go. And that will save businesses and people millions of dollars every year. For instance, uh, our Department of Environmental Protection sometimes has been weaponized to uh, make life miserable for people trying to do stuff on their property or on their farms. Uh, they're going to have to be reined in. Uh, right now, they approve 46,000 permits per year. And they, they take months and months, sometimes years, to get approved. We'll have a streamlined system here where we reduce the number of permits and additionally force DEP to approve these permits within a, a specific period of time. Wow. Excellent. Well, man, you have really thought this through. I'm, I'm impressed. Um, let me go to your next part of your website here. I'm a patriot with a doctorate in history. Now, look at that. With a doctorate in history and more than 30 published articles on history and strategy, I'm passionate about my country's founding ideals. Tell me a little bit about, uh, uh, in closing here, tell me a little bit more about uh, that. Tell me about your views on history, American history, some of the founding fathers, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and how you as governor see your position in light of the, the, you know, the history of our nation. 
Uh, so I'm really enthralled by our founder, William Penn. Uh, William Penn accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior in his early 20s um, and became a Quaker and uh, kind of like an old version of Pentecostals today of sorts. Uh, his dad was appalled. His dad was a famous admiral that worked for King Charles II, also Cromwell before that, was appalled that his son would leave the church, the Church of England, and disinherited him, you know, disowned him. And uh, William Penn ended up in jail three times for his faith. Uh, one time in the Tower of London, we're all major, you know, convicts going back in those days. King Charles II, as a favor to William Penn's dad, said, I'll let you out early. Just deny your faith and join the right church. And William Penn said, I'd rather die before I do that. Wow. And because of his faithfulness, when he was released from prison, his dad died. And King Charles II owed the Penn family a massive fortune of money, uh, of loans. And uh, God gave to uh, William Penn what we call Pennsylvania. And when he arrived here in 1682... He said, he prophesied, my God will make it so we will be the seed, S-E-E-D, the seed of the nation, a holy experiment to do what is just and right. And in 1776, that happened in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where the light of liberty was lit. And anyone that enjoys freedom has that moment in time in Philadelphia in 1776 to thank. And then, of course, Pennsylvania, the struggle for freedom was tough. The Southern Democrats loved their slaves. That issue was never resolved. And so we had a terrible civil war. And anyone that talks about civil war, I mean... We don't want that ever again. I, I have said that so many times. I'm like, people, you don't understand how bad that would yeah. be for our nation and our families and, you know, in our yes. community. Oh, man, you're right. It would be devastating. God forbid. And so during a bloody civil war, it looked like we we're going to lose. Two years in, uh, Robert E. Lee, with his army in northern Virginia, invaded Pennsylvania. We had the Battle of Gettysburg, 50,000 casualties, bloodiest battle in North America. But we had a new birth of freedom, as Abraham Lincoln said, in Pennsylvania. And then in his famous speech, he said, it is up to us, rather the living, to attend to the unfinished work. And so we do have this unfinished work of this vision that William Penn had of a free state that would become the leader of a nation. But more importantly, of a place where people can walk as free men and women. Our, our motto on our campaign sign, of course, is John 8:36. One of the verses very important to William Penn. If Jesus sets you free, you're free indeed. It's all about freedom. Individual freedom. You know, free agents versus being slaves of the state. And sadly, Colonel, as you know, we are being enslaved. I, I talk about it often and have for years the 10 Bill of Rights. I mean, we couldn't even get our Constitution ratified until we got those 10 Bill of Rights because some were very concerned about a, a runaway federal government. And then when we get these 10 Bill of Rights that are being 10 handcuffs onto the central government, okay, now we're off to getting the Constitution finally ratified. But uh, somewhere along the way with legal gymnastics, they took the 10 handcuffs off the central government, put it on the states, as you know, and now they decide when we have freedom of speech, when we have freedom of religion, you know, when we have the right for peaceful assembly. Um, so the 10th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, the powers the federal government have are limited and expressed, and the unlisted powers belong to the states and respect the people thereof, kind of been thrown out the window. How will you as governor seek to reinforce your state rights? Because, again, I... I People don't, I guess because we don't know our history, of course you've got your doctorate in it, uh, but we the states, we the people created the federal government. Now we are being enslaved by the institution we created, for Pete's sake, because of those 10 handcuffs being taken off. So how will you set the example maybe on a national level to show governors and attorney generals how we as sovereign states, as independent constitutional republics, can not be the slave of the central government that we created. 
by having a governor that's bold and courageous, that that's a leader. And uh, l- let me lay it out for you. With, during COVID, you know, I hate I hate the cold weather. So hats off to you up there, you know, in t- towards the north central part of our, our country. Um, you know, it's a bad thing in Pennsylvania when South Dakota starts looking like a decent alternative. You know, for <laughs> so what a difference a good governor can make. You, if you have a governor like Ron DeSantis in power, that's going to exercise those constitu- constitutional freedoms, not be a coward and timid about it. But bold and courageous. Yes, you'll be singled out by the media, but it's about our oath and the Constitution. So if what Ron DeSantis is doing is fantastic, love what he's doing. Uh, you think he's a good governor of Pennsylvania? We're going to make him look like an amateur hour under Matt Brianna. We're going to re- reassert our freedoms. Well, you got to promise some great interviews here because when you start making that kind of news, we want to break those stories right here on Lindell TV. Okay. <laughs> Let's make sure people know. Logan, I think that's Doug with the, with the number four. Doug and the number four, not F-O-R. I hope you bought both. Did you buy both, Doug? I, I did, but I haven't diverted that page yet. So okay. I need to do that. Okay. But let's let's correct that for the record, folks. It's Doug and then the number. There you go, Logan. Doug4gov.com. Doug4gov.com. Okay. One final question. If you don't want to answer, I understand you're in a primary. But uh, let me ask you, um, any thoughts on your Senate race? Because that's sure got a lot of attention. And, and next week I'm going to have on... Um, the uh, lady, dear lady that's running for um, uh, U.S. Senate against Dr. Oz, uh, Kathy Barnett, correct? Yes, and I've endorsed Kathy Barnett. She has such a, a, a wonderful story. My wife and I have known her for um, you know several years. She was my keynote speaker at the heartbeat bill that I introduced. It was one of the first pieces of legislation I, I introduced together with Representative Stephanie Borowitz. And um, Revy thought it would be a good idea to have Kathy speak because we met her at you know at a Trump rally, and she, she has a powerful conservative values and a great way of laying them out to people. Did not know her story. For we had a pro-life legislation event. She was conceived when her mom was 11 as a result of rape. Oh wow! I mean, this, this is. This is like the poster child of the exceptions that Republicans talk about. Oh, yeah, we have to have the exceptions. And she's she shared her story for the first time on that stage in a press conference in Harrisburg, our capital. And uh, it was so touching and moving. I just grew to respect her so much more. And so she does have a powerful story about the right to life. Wow. Well, she'll be on with us here on Lindell TV. I think I have booked her for 630. Yep, 630 on Monday night. No, no, no. Let's see. I think that's 630 tomorrow night. Yeah, 6.30 tomorrow night. So I have her on tomorrow night, 6.30 Central, right here. So it'll be a great follow-up. You have a beautiful state. I have been to your state. I've spoken in your state many times over the many, many years. And, uh, of course, I love Lancaster. And uh, it's a beautiful state, and it deserves it deserves better, better leadership. And I think uh, you'll do Pennsylvania and the country proud. Thank you for your service. Glad you're running. And congratulations on your debate. And again, I want to reiterate the survey, the poll. You want to show that again, Logan? Uh, the poll after last night's debate, uh, 70% say that Doug won that debate last night, Logan. Uh, he's probably scrambling for our next guest, but we showed the poll. <laughs> we, we, we showed the poll. There it is. There it is. 70% say he won the debate last night. So congratulations, Doug. And uh, we look forward to more updates. And as you have reason... Text me, let me know. We'll get you back on because uh, I know there's a lot going to be happening over the next days and weeks. Thank you for having me on and keep us in prayer these final three weeks. I sure would a- appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Senator. Senator and Colonel Doug Mastriano. Again, I hope you'll visit his website. The correct email, uh, the quick, correct website is Doug, D-O-U-G, the number four, gov.com. 
All right, before we go to our next guest, I want to go real quick over to frankspeech.com. Go right here to frankspeech.com, if you will. See where it says online store? Just click that right there, online store. Click it, and it'll bring up this page right here. And the code you want to use is L77. We're in the Lindell Report, the Lindell Hour. Uh, Mike is on business tonight speaking. I think he, I'm not sure where he's speaking tonight, but he is speaking tonight somewhere. I can't keep up with Mike. Uh, but he is speaking tonight, so he asked me to hold down the fort, so we are. But if you want to support Mike's work to fix 2020, to save America, we need your support. Here's the buy one, get one free sale. I don't know how long this is going to last, so if I were you, I would take advantage of it now. Buy one, get one free. We're talking about the bed sheets. We're talking about the Giza Elegance My Pillows, the Roll and Go Anywhere My Pillows, the towels. Again, buy one, get one free. Uh, this would make great gifts for graduations, for people graduating from college, from high school, college students setting up maybe their first house or apartment. Uh, the high school students graduating going to have their first dorm or apartment. Uh, so great time to buy gifts for graduations, spring weddings, summer weddings. Take advantage of those things there. We're going to throw in Mike's book for free with it. That in itself is a $20 value. Of course, the My Slippers, 50% off. Again, we've got uh, great sales going on over here. Use this uh, code L77, the code L77. My Pillow, look at that two-inch mattress topper. One of my friends said the other day, don't forget to mention the two-inch mattress topper because if your kids go off to college and they have those really cruddy college dorm beds, you can fix that with a two-inch MyPillow mattress topper. So again, you want to make sure you send the kids off to school with that this fall. Men's sleepwear, uh, closeout overstock. Again, no guarantee how long some of this is going to last. You might want to act. Of course, Delta's favorite, my Yellow Lab Delta, our studio dog, she sleeps on this. She's actually got a second one coming. Mike is sending her a second one, so she has one for both floors, the floor upstairs and the floor downstairs. Uh, the MyPillow mattress protector, the, the uh, help our country, help save our country, fix 2021st yard signs, the Frank Speech mugs, Frank Speech t-shirts, bleed stop, so much. The robes, the bionic wrench, all that. Use that promo code L77, Firestarter, so much more. Use that promo code L77, promo code L77, won't you? And help support Mike Lindell. Joining me now is Jason, and I hope I'm going to get the right, the name, last name correct. Jason Fike, F-Y-K. He is the director, founder and director of Social Media Foundation. Sir, Jason, am I saying your last name correctly? It's actually Jason Fick. It's pronounced like a soft eye. All right. Sorry about that. That's Jason. okay. It was kind of a last minute thing. And it's actually the Social Media Freedom Foundation. Social Media Freedom Foundation. Freedom Foundation. All right. Yes. Now, I looked up your story today. Yeah, this was kind of a last minute interview, but I, I, uh, someone, I guess your representative reached out to me and said, would you like to have him on? And I... Uh, was reading your information about you, and I'm like, absolutely. This is very interesting. Let me read this. In 2010, Jason ventured into the business world of social media. Realizing the advertising potential for the platform, he created a series of popular pages on Facebook, which you guys wonder how that ended up, right, guys? Which regularly published content related to pop culture and comedy. At the highest of his success, his pages held over 38 million followers 38 million 
and brought in, listen to this, folks, brought in over $300,000 per month from brand partnerships and advertising, over $300,000 a month. Overnight, on October 19th, 2016, Facebook pulled the plug, taking 14 million fans away and unpublishing six of his pages. Jason was told that Facebook would not restore his pages. A few months later, he reached out to a former colleague in the social media advertising space to see if Facebook would restore the pages if another competitor became the owner. Unfortunately, the face, unfortunately Facebook agreed to restore his pages at the request of his competitor only if he was no longer the owner of the pages, a quid pro quo agreement. He sought out an attorney to represent him, and this was when he met Jeff Geiber. Graber, Graber, Graber. Graber, Graber recognized Facebook's uh, egregious anti-competitive misconduct and immediately agreed to take on his case against Facebook. This was not a case about the content because the content was restricted was the same content that was restored, but rather Facebook's unlawful conduct in soliciting a new higher value owner while fraudulently relying on Section 230 protections. Now, that is a fascinating story. I want you to comment on that, and then let's get into what Section 230 protections are all about. That's, but that's a fascinating story. Yeah, a lot of people are, are sort of unaware of it because, uh, you know, we don't get a lot of social media help. Uh, it's kind of hard to get the, the news out there when you're doing that. But in 2018, we, we brought four causes of action. Uh, that was unfair competition, tortious interference, fraud, and extortion. And we spent years fighting it. Uh, and it's, it's all a, a social media Section 230 fight. And the interesting thing is, is that the court kept dismissing it. This is the California courts because forum drags us back to California. The Northern District uh, Court dismissed us and said that we were treating them as the publisher. Well, I wasn't. I was the publisher. So I wasn't treating them as me. And the Ninth Circuit, you know, affirmed that on the next level. They threw us out. And then we petitioned en banc. They said no. And we went to the Supreme Court, and they also said no. I had not gotten one single day in court, but that is where everything changed, especially for us. At that point, what had happened is we – well, actually, before that even happened, three months after my case, give or take, another case ended. It was Enigma versus Mauerbytes, and lo and behold – the court had determined that the Good Samaritan provision of the Communications Decency Act, which is Section 230, does not immunize anti-competitive behavior. It's clear as day. I should have beaten dismissal. But my case was still out of court. So we, we filed another motion, 60B, went back to the Northern District of Court. He spent seven months. Um, it turns out the judge is retired, but he spent seven months to give us a two-page uh, dismissal yet again. And he said that my case was a 230C1 case, and that case was a 230C2 case. The problem with that is the Good Samaritan provision does not fall in either one of those. It actually falls in 230C, meaning it's it, the header for both. They dismissed it again incorrectly. Now, we are back in the Ninth Circuit now, and we are awaiting, essentially, we're actually awaiting uh, Facebook's answer right at the moment. But that decision is going on. But that was my case against Facebook. Now there's a much bigger announcement that just came out yesterday uh, that I think your audience will be interested in to hear about. And that has to do with, I'm, I'm guessing it has to do with Clarence, Justice Clarence Thomas, correct? Uh, no, actually yesterday uh, we did a 
live press con- conference with um, Louis Gohmert. Oh. Uh, Congressman Louis Gohmert uh, in D.C.'s at the steps of the Capitol. And that was to announce on Tuesday we filed the first, we believe to be the first ever First and Fifth Amendment constitutional challenge of Section 230, not against big tech. We're suing the United States government. Ooh. It is a 143-page long comprehensive constitutional challenge. It brings in everything from every direction. It explains how it all works. And, and generally, and I'll be honest with you, most of the nation has complete misconceptions about how Section 230 works, what immunities it does. And unfortunately, they're, they're perpetuating this, um, you know, chasing your tail kind of arguments, and they're wrong. And I would implore everybody, you can see it on the, on the, the page here, socialmediafreedom.org. If you go to that page, on the home page, scroll down, there is a document called, uh, excuse me, Revoke Section 230 Executive Summary. I implore everybody, read it. That is a 20-page small version of the constitutional challenge it explains it in detail right here logan here it is revoking the uh revoking the protection of section 230 our case was dismissed under section 203 230 c1 and now we have the standing to sue the united states government read more okay then that brings it up all right so somewhere in here though this has something to do with uh clarence justice clarence thomas doesn't it well so yes um in the Enigma versus Malwarebytes case and another case, Joe, uh, Doe versus Facebook, uh, Justice Clarence Thomas did something that's kind of rare. I mean, I, we that, you don't see it very often. In a denial of cert, he made a statement, in at least in Enigma, that was 10 pages long explaining the inner dynamics of Section 230. And, of course, everybody tore him apart and said, oh, he's misguided. He's not misguided. He's dead on. Because... And and I'll and I'll sort of lay this out for your for your audience. Everybody is you know arguing whether it's a First Amendment issue or they state actor, and nobody really can decide where that delineation becomes. Right? Are they a state actor or are they a private entity? Well, let me just well, stop are... you right there because most of the audience doesn't know what Section Two Thirty means. Can you give it to us okay. in layman terms and then pick it up okay. from there? Sure, sure, sure. I'll back all the way up. So what Section Two Thirty is is that in nineteen 19- uh, I believe it was 1995, uh, Stratton Oakmont was sued. And the reason they were sued was because they had held themselves out to be a family-friendly website. And unfortunately, some content gets through. We know that that happens. And what ended up happening is they were sued because of that content that they missed, the, the stuff that they failed to remove. And the Congress recognized that there, there's an issue here because we have to be able to let them take down harmful content that would be able to protect children while also preserving the First Amendment, right? So they, they enacted this law, and the idea was, hey, look, we'll give you protections if you fail to remove content because you can't be treated as someone else for their conduct or their content, their, their content, right? That's 230C1. That's the first element of it. The second element is, is that they gave them the power. When, when you give power, that's regulatory power, right? It's coming right from the government, and they said that, you know what? If you take any action in good faith to restrict access to materials that are otherwise considered objectionable, and I'm shortening that down because that's the broadest version of it, we'll give you civil liability protections. We'll let you be a publisher. Now, here's the thing. Everybody confuses that with the First Amendment, but that's not a First Amendment issue. That's liability protection. The First Amendment, they still have the ability to take down anything they want. 
they will still have it even if 230 disappears. This only protects them when they were doing something that they were getting a directive from Congress for, right? It laid it out right there. Take any action to restrict access to availability of uh, materials that they consider objectionable. Where everybody made the mistake is this. The first words there, it says any action voluntarily taken. And they say, well, it's a private action. Oh, it would be a private action if it said any voluntary action taken. In fact, it's only the voluntary choice whether to engage in any action to restrict access to materials that are considered objectionable, meaning it's a voluntary choice, a private choice, whether to engage in state action, and then you get the protections from civil liability, or if you don't, you have 230C1 protections because you weren't involved in the content at all. That's how clean it becomes, but the courts have taken that and they've blown it into this mess. And, and for example, in my case, and this, is, this seems subtle, right? But I was obviously the publisher of my content, right? It's fairly simple, right? I'm the publisher. The court said I was treating them as a publisher, not the publisher, a publisher. And in fact, the, the, uh, what's called the Batzel three-part test, it even says, seeks to treat as a publisher. Well, here's the thing. The law, in fact, says no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. The publisher. It denotes a pre-existing publisher. It denotes me. But if they are a publisher in addition to me, now, this does not solve the publisher versus platform problem. In fact, that one is, is if you listen to the last tail piece of it, it says if the information is provided by another. So you ready for the secret where we found the what what is essentially a, an irreconcilable loop? The first portion of that law says that the information has to be provided by another, right? So they can't be the content provider, correct? Pretty simple. They can't be the content provider. So throw platform, throw publisher out. It is either a content provider or a service provider. It cannot be the content provider. But the very next portion of the law that says they can restrict access to materials that they consider objectionable, let me ask you this. If I asked you to, to decide what content to remove, what's the flip side of that coin? What else are you actually deciding by proxy? What information to put up? Correct. What information to provide? which therefore by definition means that you're developing that information at least insignificantly in part. And there's an actual definition of what a content provider is in the statute itself. And for the lawyers out there, it's under section 230 F3. And it says, get this, any person or entity responsible in whole or in part, meaning insignificant, for the creation or development of information provided online. In other words, if you create it, we all know created, yes, because that brought it into existence. But developed is very different. Developed is manipulation after the fact. It's allowing, it's advancing, it's manipulating content in any way or contributing to it in some way. So in essence, the second law says they can be a content provider. But then you go back up to the first law and it says you can't be a content provider. But then we go back to the second law and it says you can be. You see the loop? This is why everybody is confused as the platform publisher because they are both a content provider and not a content provider simultaneously. 
and that's what they call in in statutory terms a statutory uh, excuse me a, a statutory irreconcilable statutory conflict and in the terms of a statutory conflict like that do you know what they do how they resolve it they strike the statute hmm. section 230 is in jeopardy now and, and besides did, did, the fact that it's unconstitutional did, did and did supreme court justice clarence thomas basically kind of give a 10-page synopsis for if you want to win this case here's how you got to do it follow this roadmap yeah so in, in that he said um one one element of it is is that everybody says it's settled law it is that it's not settled law justice thomas said the supreme court has never interpreted it how can it be settled law it never went to the top in fact he also said just what i just said there it, they said that if 230C1 is editorial control, it eviscerates 230C2, meaning there's a problem. There's a, there are, there's a harmonious problem. It doesn't work. And then he went on to say that, that the courts have interpreted this far beyond what could plausibly be understood by Congress. And that is where um, Congressman Gomert uh, got involved. He's read this, and he is backing us on this, and he's going to bring congressional amicus if we need it. Um, but this is probably one of the most important cases in modern history. You're able to decide whether we have free speech online or not. That was my next this, question for you, uh, Jason, was how would this impact the average listener listening tonight on a social media platform? Well, so for example, what happens if we succeed, right? Basically, what does it do? Well, we're trying to fix 230C1 to be back to the, the publisher, which means if they have no involvement in the content, they are not involved with the conduct or anything. Yeah, they shouldn't be held accountable because they didn't do it, right? That should stay in place because that's not unconstitutional. But the second piece— So let me give an example. Actually, so if you're running a website and you let people come on there and post stuff like YouTube or whatever does, and someone puts up something that's objectionable, I'm not held reliable as the, 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 the content you know, or the uh, publisher, as the publisher, correct? I'd be, I'd be considered correct. the publisher, Correct. But you're not held liable at all because you can't be treated as the publisher because the publisher is someone else. Okay, so what would I be called then under the law? You would at that point be an interactive computer service provider. Okay, interactive computer service provider where I give people the opportunity to put up information. So if someone puts up right. something illegal they shouldn't put up, I can't be sued. That that should stay in place. It's not it's not that simple. If you allow it you are contributing to the negligence, correct? Okay, okay. If it's, let's say it's child pornography and right. it can't be there. It is illegal. Right. If you knowingly leave it, you are contributing to the negligence, right. correct? But if you don't know that it. Is, but if you don't know it, you're not. And that's the point of what we're trying to say here is that 230C1 cannot have any editorial control. It means that you didn't touch it. As the service provider, you never allowed it. You didn't even consider it. You, you were uninvolved, unknowingly hosting. The second piece is where they become knowingly hosting, but the problem with that is they can now become a content provider. So they go beyond service provider and they jump into content provider, but if they provide the content and they're allowing specific content, well, then that violates 230C1 again because you are the content provider. So, so they can't point, even also, allow it there. In other words, you're the publisher at that point. Again, you need to take publisher out of the vernacular. You are a content provider. The publisher was still the person who put it there. Okay. If, for example, you amplify it, you didn't publish it, did you? You see how you're not the yep. publisher. Yep. Yep. You're yep. just manipulating. You're developing it. But you are now, by legal standards in the statute, considered a content provider. Okay. Okay. Now you're on the hook. And the thing is, is that the courts have completely overlooked that and allowed it for what Justice Clarence Thomas said. It's allowing 
them to put up their own content. Like, for example, let's take fact-checking. Fact-checking. Like, for example, Facebook identifies misinformation. You mean you right? mean, uh, you mean mean our buddy uh, Alan Duke over at Facebook. Alan Duke and the fact-checkers. I, I would assume. So Facebook identifies the information, right? So they're, they're acting as an editor now. They're sending it out to a third-party fact-checker, and they try they, – they're very clear, third-party, okay, because they're trying to get back to that, oh, we didn't put it up. It's a third-party, except for the fact they pay that third-party to create and develop information, which Facebook then provides over top of yours. How can you say they're not a content provider? They just paid to create it and developed it. This is where the problem lies, is that the courts are not – stepping in to stop that issue and and we have brought all of that to bear in this constitutional challenge amongst other things i mean one of the biggest things and this is kind of funny because I, no i don't have my bar license but i am smart enough to read the law to go back and i mean i have done two thousand yeah, like hours lawyer. research yeah, yeah you sound oh like i can well the funny thing is is that and i'm just going to say this kind of as a joke is i get the lawyers that come along and want to lawyer explain it to me um meanwhile they have no idea what they're talking about I know how to catch them very quickly, and I'm going to give this to your audience. Just when somebody starts, you know, mouthing off, saying they know everything, if you look at the title, it says protections for, quote, Good Samaritan blocking and screening offensive materials. There's quotes surrounding Good Samaritan. It's in the law. And I ask the lawyer, I go, why are the quotes there? And inevitably, they have no idea. Nobody knows why. And I'm like, well, there's a reason. And clearly you don't understand Section 230. So I'm going to give you the foundation. Now, this is all explained in the executive summary. When Congress lays down a delegation of regulatory authority to an agency, FCC, U.S. Postal Service, SEC, IRS, whatever it be, they lay down something called an articulated intelligible principle. Articulated. It's in quotes because it's being said. Here is the principle upon which you must make your laws, your code, your regulations, right? So in this case, anything and everything that these companies do that to make a rule has to be a good Samaritan. Enigma figured that out. The Enigma versus Malwarebytes case went, yep, the good Samaritan provision, you can't be going after somebody's financial you know, company for your own financial gain because – antithetical to to being a good samaritan so it's important so what is an intelligible principle well that intelligible principle means that it's a, a delegation of regulatory authority to an agent well the agent skipped a, an official regulatory impartial commission and it got dumped right on the public right on the private entity and unfortunately for them schecter poultry and a case called carter cole both um deemed a, a law unconstitutional under due process because so when they make a community standard or terms of service and they make a rule which has the power of law they can then enforce their rule and they can even set the punishment right they can ban you for how many days they want right well any law protected by government that's punitive what are they entitled to anything that denies you of your life liberty or property entitled to due process i went all the way to the supreme court of the united states of america and i never got a single hearing when facebook under the protection of government took my property 
and denied me of my liberty. They denied me of my due process rights. I couldn't challenge it. Wow. This is what gave me the standing to bring a Fifth Amendment constitutional challenge. This is all this. We went, you know, because everybody says, oh, well, you know, this or that. And they're all relying on precedent that's been bad since 1997. They screwed it up in Zoran versus America Online and built on that foundation ever since. It's wrong. So, so this case is huge, and it will help restore our First Amendment rights. Well, the result is this. If we fix 230C1, the sites will still be protected from the content and conduct of another, so long as they're not involved in it, right? Bulletin boards, etc. The second piece is they have a First Amendment right. They will, if you say bad things or anything that they don't like, they will still be able to remove you. And everybody goes, well, then what did it resolve? Well, the point is, is that when they break a law, when it becomes an unlawful removal and that you can prove a cause of action, you don't hit a dismissal wall. You go to the court on the merits. So in your so case, means, in your case where they took away $300,000 a month in income, you could sue the living daylights out of them for millions upon millions upon millions, which makes them billions, think, billions, which makes them think twice about what they're doing. Exactly. Because lawsuits are the things that will rein them in. They will not take down things. They will, they will be reluctant to take down things illegally and unlawfully. If it is actually harmful, they'll take it down because they want to keep their site nice and clean. But if they start taking down content to manipulate an election, for example, and I know that's on everybody's mind right now. If they break the law, they can be sued. They will not hit this massive firewall that the United States has put up that is unconstitutional. Because it doesn't deny their rights. It denies the third party, you and me. Because they've given this agency power and they said, hey, look, if you want to voluntarily undertake what we tell you to do, you can. But if you don't, we got you covered either way. Wow. And the thing is, that agency power is still a, a government directive, which means they are a state actor. If they're trying to get the liability protection, they have to prove that they did act at the prerogative of Congress. So I got, I got 30 seconds. So do you see this going to the Supreme Court? I very much see it going to the Supreme Court. Justice Thomas asked for an appropriate Section 230 case. There cannot be a more appropriate case because this simply challenges the law. Are you there going no right to involved. the Supreme Court or are you going to a lower federal court first? We filed on Tuesday in the District of Columbia um, District Court. We have to start there. But, it, it, you know, there's the entire possibility the Supreme Court decides to pull it up and uh, maybe even consolidate my personal case and handle this. Finally. Wow. Wow. Jason, thank you so much. Will you keep us posted? Absolutely, we'll do. This is because you know Mike Lindell's big on talking about these kind of cases. He knows firsthand what this is like. You know that, right? Yeah, I, I've spoken with him briefly. Um, I should have a much longer conversation with him. So if he sees this, oh, he'll see it. Give it, give me a call. Yeah, he'll see it. We'll <laughs> definitely be getting you back. Keep us posted, will you? I will do that. Most Thank night, you. Most nights he would be here, but he's traveling tonight. So we'll we'll keep us posted. We'll get you back when he's on with us. But I guarantee you, he'll see this. Absolutely. Thank you, Jason. His Thank website, you. folks, social media. i got to get that again. Socialmediafreedom.org. Socialmediafreedom.org. You can read all about it right there. All right. Well, before we conclude, let me just tell you, use that promo code L77. Buy one, get one free at mypillow.com. Or use the online store link at frankspeech.com. Tonight, I have on Pete Santelli, along with another gentleman, folks, that's been going viral with his Substack. We're going to talk about the World Health Organization and a scary treaty 
just days. We have days to stop this. The same people that locked us down with COVID could do it globally through power we delegate to them through this World Health Organization treaty, and no one's talking about it. Tom Littleton on taking church property and turning churches into slumlords. Karen Kingston with an update. Don't miss it. Talk to you soon. Take care. You're watching Lindell TV.